Microphones up. Hello, everybody. It is Thursday night, and yeah, don't uh, don't attempt to adjust your radio. That voice that you're hearing, the one that you have been missing so so much for the last two weeks, is back in the studio. How was the circus, Jake? It was amazing. I have never eaten so many peanuts in my entire life. Um, I would like to say that heart healthy peanuts. Tori, if you uh, remain lonely because you're living with a cloud, <laughs> clown. Wow. Sore throat. If you're feeling lonely because you're living with a clown, you know where to find me. Oh. <clears throat> when you're afraid, put away that frown and never be scared of a clown. Animaniacs call back. Um, thank you, everybody. It is Thursday night, which means it's time for Pop and Schlock Live, the show that analyzes pop culture and current media from a... Uh, analytical and critical lens uh and i a comedy lens and a comedic lens because we can't take anything seriously i am your host uh author educator and uh, apparently uh carney folk uh jay goodson dodd also known as jake for brevity's sake with me as always but uh this time slightly sicker than usual is meredith nudo Hi. a professional improv comedian and human train wreck um before we <laughs> really <laughs> Every single time. Um, really? Yes, really. Um, really? Really, really. Um, so, uh, before we get into the show, I do want to talk about how here at KPFT, we are in our regular pledge drive. And we have been instructed, and we would love to tell you about how you can call in or... Uh, use many different means to come and support the radio station. Um, you can call, of course, at 713-526-5738 to donate, or you can text now. You can text GIVE, the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to 713-526-5738 uh, to get an online donation link. Also, also, because we live in the 21st century, uh, you can cash app your donation to KPFT Houston. If you send it to, it's the dollar sign KPFT Houston, you can send in your donation that way. And these donations are the, re the way that we can keep this, uh, this radio station up and running. This radio station does not rely on corporate sponsors or advertising revenue. It relies on the donations of our listeners. That is why we are able to produce quality programming that caters to an audience that maybe does not get represented by major mainstream radio outlets it is the it is the generous donation of listeners just like yourself who keep this program and many other programs here on the air shout outs to living art and fm rager and really but not really and our friends here at kpft the shows that we like but we don't know the people that are running it like arab voices uh queer voices just great programming all around so if you don't want to support us 
support another one of the wonderful programs that we have. But if you do want to support us, please make sure that you let everybody know that whenever you call in with those donations or if you go online to donate there, that you would like to support Pop and Schlock Live here on KPFT HD2. Um, once again, we uh, would thank any and uh, we thank and welcome any and all donations. And uh, we hope that uh, this pledge drive season will be a fruitful one. Now, let's go ahead. Oh, and, and also the dagger, which is a new sports show. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Patrick. Hey, Patrick. Uh, Patrick, multiple guests on this show. Patrick, you are amazing. And he is coming back. We've got him on the schedule. Yes, we do. I can't wait to have him back in studio. Anyway, um, now that we've got that out of the way for the early section of the program, uh, we can get down to the nitty gritty. People that we are excited to have on the program for the first time. First time guests. And we'll eventually schedule them for another time because we know that they're <laughs> going to be awesome tonight. Yeah, so we, uh, so tonight we're going to be talking about Alita Battle Angel, which uh, I think is going to be a very interesting discussion. Uh, if you have not seen the movie, I would uh, advise you to do so because we are going to get pretty spoiler heavy on this one. Um, but we do have two guests that we want to have. Let, in, introduce yourself, guys. Tell everybody who you are, why you're here, and uh, what we can expect from you tonight. Uh, my name is Justin Corbett. I'm the host of a local comedy podcast here in Houston called the Mind Fudge Comedy Podcast. I'm also a comic book writer. Uh, my series Speak No Evil just released its third issue, and Meredith's actually our editor on the book, which is how I ended up getting here. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm here with uh, my girlfriend. Hi, I'm Erica. I am the host of Raging Nerds podcast uh, that's under Dogfin Studios. Um, I am here because my boyfriend's here. <laughs> <laughs> And we and, love movies, and we both love movies a lot, which is why we're really here. And because you're a good podcaster in your own right, Erica. I try. You, you, you both already came with your radio voices, and I appreciate that. Right on. <laughs> and so we can now dive in. Oh, oh, how... Okay, so um, when the trailers for this film first hit, what and what I feel was like almost two years ago... Um, all anybody could really talk about was the baffling design choices with regard to Alita's eyes. Yeah. That was all anybody could talk about. It was memefied into oblivion close to two years ago. Um, this movie has had its release date rescheduled several times since then. And every time I found myself thinking, how bad of a train wreck is this that they can't decide when they want to allow us to see it? And... Ultimately, I do want to just start off the episode by saying I enjoyed this film a great deal. I think everybody in this room enjoyed this film. It was not a, at all the train wreck we were expecting. Oh, and no. That's a good thing because, like I said, we all really want to genuinely like the things we see. Right, right. And th this is a, this is a film where, I, if, if I can provide a little context, um, I am not a gigantic anime nerd. Um, I There was a time period in high school when I thought I might be. Um, I was in Anime Club, and this was actually one of the anime that was brought in to watch. And I remember distinctly, it's there's it's a two-part uh, OVA. It's a two-part OVA based on a very long run very, manga. Yeah, very Actually, long. The manga was only nine volumes. And the, the supposed script of the first movie, the live-action movie that just came out, only takes up the first three volumes of the nine. So the, the original design, I think, was going to do three whole movies. It was supposed to be a trilogy. Oh, which, man. Which... Uh, 
To me, though, nine volumes is long running, especially when you look at how thick a lot of the manga volumes That's are. That's true. Well, I mean, when you say long running manga, I think of something like Bleach or, <laughs> or One Piece whenever you get into the triple right. digits. I, I don't know if those are long runners so much as they are just epic sprawls by that point. Yeah. Um, but, um, but getting back to my original point before I forget it, what, what it was, um, whenever I, uh, whenever this was brought up in Anime Club, uh, all those years ago, I guess it would have been 15 years ago that I was in Anime Club, um, this was one that I was interested in, but ultimately it felt like kind of a, uh, a lesser entry among the other, like, classics of this sort of, like, the cyberpunk era, like, anime manga stuff that I was really int into, your, like, your Akira's, I preferred Ghost in the Shell, I think that was, those were ones that hooked me a little bit harder. Did you ever like Bubblegum Crisis? Uh, I never have watched Bubblegum Crisis. Oh, the original and the, the remake are both fantastic. I will also, have to see Crash is pretty good, too. Yeah, I haven't seen Crash! Crash weirdly. is pretty good. I should have seen Crash, but I haven't. One yeah. of the first animes I ever watched is Bubblegum Crisis, so Same you gotta here. get into it, gotta mm -hmm. get into it. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, I mean, honestly, uh, you know my my introduction to anime was you know the, the the big stuff like that and then I I got hooked into the um my thing was like Trigun Cowboy Bebop Samurai Champloo those were kind of my, those were my jam the Adult Swim shows yeah yes. basically the, oh, especially especially Big O Big O was yeah. like, was Big so O was good. one of my all time favorites um and I I think that a lot of it came around to just uh, easy access was really uh, the reason why they they hooked me in and well uh, yeah because a, a lot of stuff at at that time, it was very expensive to go buy at Suncoast Motion Picture Company <laughs> oh. because, you know, the, the the licensing plus having to rewrite the script plus having to overdub everything like mm -hmm. VHS <laughs> VHS those the VHS tapes and then later on the DVDs were about 30 bucks each. Yeah, and I, rightfully so. I well, yeah, feel there's, like, I mean, the, like that's a rightful thing to charge considering the amount of work that goes into it, but it did make it prohibitively expensive. It was it was definitely it was definitely cost prohibitive for a 17-year-old high schooler. <laughs> right, right. Uh, especially it, I mean, those things on top of how expensive they were, they were available only in limited quantity as well. So sometimes it was hard to get that one thing that you needed. Um, so I didn't go going into this. I didn't have the uh, the affection for the source property that uh, I'm sure that a lot of people uh, actually have, because this is a, a fairly well-known property and it seems to be a fairly beloved property by a lot of uh, a lot of anime and manga fans. So the fact that I went in my expectations were at the ground level. Um, it wasn't anything where I felt like I... I mean, honestly, I was kind of expecting it to be a little bit... Um, well, going back to going back to high school again, uh, Robert Rodriguez was one of my uh, one of like my filmmaking idols because El Mariachi was just such an accomplishment, mm -hmm. you know, to just go out there and do it and make a film for seven thousand dollars with your friends and have it launch a career. Um, whenever you look at people like your Kevin Smiths, your Robert Rodriguez, your Richard Linklaters, they were really heroes of mine. Um, but if you look at the tra trajectory of Robert Rodriguez's film career, um, some of his later entries have not been as solid as they could have been um, to put things in a very, very light way. So I wasn't really expecting this to be as coherent as it ended up being. If there's one thing that I can say is I really liked the way that uh, the film was shot, staged, and edited. Uh, there was at no point during this film did I sit there and say, I really can't follow what's going on. Um, I felt like the, uh, I felt like it was, there were 
some pacing issues, but it wasn't overwhelmingly negative. And I think I came out of the movie theater thinking, you know what, this is really one of the better put together action tent poles that I've seen in a while. Um, like there's no reason why objectively speaking, Venom made more money than this. <laughs> There's no reason, objectively speaking, that Venom should have made any money at all, but that's that's neither here nor there. Um, but ultimately, I I really did like what this film put out there. Uh, there's I'm trying I'm trying to think of negative things to talk about because that's usually my bread and butter on this show. Whitewashing. Is it really whitewashing though? Yeah. Do you? Why would you say that? Well, the for one thing, uh, <laughs> Daisuke Ito. Okay. Uh, he is originally supposed to be Japanese. Okay. Yeah. Um, I can see that. Uh, however, it seems like, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't, wasn't this, wasn't the setting supposed to be North American? Yeah, but he was also supposed to be a Japanese American. Okay. So we've, so yeah, we, I feel like that is kind of being glossed over a little bit. Um, and I feel like there are, uh, some Japanese and Japanese American critics who are okay with it. And there are some Japanese and Japanese American critics who are not. Yeah. So it's important to realize that the critics are not a monolith, but that you should take them seriously and listen rather than just stomping in and saying, well, you're wrong. Yeah, I, I, I guess I guess that kind of just flew over my head as I was watching it because it wasn't it's not it's not something as egregious as the Ghost in the Shell controversy where they took an objectively uh, an, an objectively Asian character and. Uh, that is the central focus of the narrative and just said, nope, we're just going to randomly cast Scarlett Johansson. It didn't seem as egregious in that way. The same way that, um, I mean, based off of the setting, it w it seemed like the cast was extraordinarily diverse for what they were, what they were going for. Erica and Justin have not spoken at all. <laughs> and I feel like Erica and Justin should be allowed to speak on any topic they wish regarding this movie. What, they've been doing a lot of nodding, which isn't great for radio. Uh, for, for the video feed, everyone can see how in a, how much in agreement we are. But, well, I but, don't want to cut someone off. No, yeah. feel free to jump in at any time. Yeah, no, this is a free-form discussion among friends. Yeah, shut the, me down. The only, like, the only negative I can say about the movie is that it used a trope, which I'm seeing more and more in all films all TV and I'm really getting tired of seeing it the the guy murdering the dog oh god um I honestly maybe maybe it's because it's, uh it's been years like almost 20 years since I watched the OVAs and I know Meredith watched them recently is that scene in the OVAs yes okay yes it is including the part where she puts her <clears throat> fingers in the dog blood yeah and and you know, the only difference is that Jeff Fahey is not there to be Sam Elliott God, I love Jeff Fahey in this movie. <laughs> I love Jeff Fahey, period. He's so, great. When when we watched the movie, he complained instantly when he saw this. He's like, oh, it's another dog killing. But I told him, in order for things to progress, in my opinion, that had to happen. We had well, the... I, I understood it could have been from the OVA. And no, it, it was. Well, it could have been true to it, but I couldn't remember if that scene was in there. Well, or I feel no, like... And, and I'm not going to I'm not gonna call you out on it, but my, my thing is, uh, like, the dog killing trope, the only example I can think of is John Wick. Right, yeah, exactly. And... 
And other than that, I feel like they kind of subvert and shy away from that trope just because of the uh, the website doesthedogdie.com, <laughs> which is a real thing yes. because it's a seriously it's a serious deal breaker for a lot of people. They will not see a movie if if a uh, if they know that a dog is going to get harmed. Right. Yeah, no, but this is this is remarkably faithful to the OVA. Now, obviously, it's not going to be the exact same because the OVA is really only about fifty five minutes all told in this movie. Is not at all 55 minutes. <laughs> but they do bring in uh, Motorball, obviously, from the manga. So they build on things. They brought in uh, Mars, which was never really mentioned. So the OVA, I mean, almost everything from the OVA was included. There's some differences, like uh, Shireen is more explicitly a mustache twirling evil villain, mm. uh, which. Shout out to Jennifer Connelly for being an amazing vamp. So great. she was amazing. She was great. I honestly loved her I, character. Like honestly, I want to. I want to take just a quick diversion to talk about the performances in this film and how they all like were exactly what this film needed at mm -hmm. any given time. Um, I also would like to give a shout out to uh, Ed Screen for like just finding his niche as the super punchable villain. Uh, between this and Deadpool, he has got it on lock as just the... You see him step on screen and you just want to punch him in the face. However, I will say if there's one thing that this film uh, did and did a disservice to, it was uh, throwing in Jai Courtney and not utilizing him to his full potential. Come on, a 30-second cameo from uh, acting god Jai Courtney? Come on. We deserve better than that. There's always the possibility of a sequel. Is there, though? <laughs> Based on the box office, I'm not getting my hopes up. But yeah, everybody in this film really, they they ran with their role, and it, they knew exactly what film they were in. I felt like this was, a ver this was a film that understood its tone. It understood what it was trying to go for. Uh, um, I'll say this, is that despite everyone saying that they had misgivings about the movie because of Rosa Salazar's eyes don't have those misgivings she is an amazingly charming presence in this movie and this movie hinges on the fact that she does such a wonderful job of being both tough and vulnerable at the same time her her smile is just completely infectious she's a wonderful character and a wonderful actress and uh yeah the eyes are kind of creepy in the still images but they they find a way to make them work with the life that she gives that character yeah, while you're watching the movie, there's not that big of a deal. And then when you realize um, that she is a Martian and yeah. then the whole army, mm -hmm. they all look like that. They all have the big eyes. And so if anything, that can help you differentiate, yeah. especially yeah. when they do those cameos and backflashes to the wards that they're in, mm -hmm. yeah. you can tell who's who. Yeah. I, and I was, I was super, I was super excited for the, uh, the Michelle Rodriguez cameo. That was, I was mm -hmm. like, oh, yay. I, I was honestly um, hoping for more like Rodriguez regular right. uh, cameos. I was like, where's Danny Trejo? <laughs> Danny Trejo better be in this. Where, where's Antonio Banderas? <laughs> Quien es? Uh, but I feel like the, the, the eye situation was overblown and it overshadowed this film to a point where I feel like maybe the film might have found a bigger audience had it not been so out there in terms of its presentation because like Meredith said uh Rosa Salazar was great in this um she's an amazing she's an amazing young actress who does really good work with whatever is handed to her like I was she was arguably the best part of those Maze Runner 
movies. Yeah. Um, and part of it is owed to the fact that she does a very good job of projecting strength and vulnerability at the same time, which is not an easy thing to do. Um, and she really does sell this character in a way that a lesser actress wouldn't have been able to do. Um, the only the only actor in the film that I would have considered a weak link would probably be the individual who was playing Hugo. And I feel like that might have been more due to the, the underwriting of the character than the performance itself, um, as he is the most white-bred of the characters in the film. But whereas everybody else feels like a more of a capital C character um and he is not he's more of a every person uh but everybody else just kind of knocks this stuff out of the park especially uh shout out to probably one of the the best working actors we have today marshala ali oh yeah it's so weird watching true detective and then going and seeing this movie And, oh my gosh! <laughs> and I, uh, and then you know, even going back to his voice work in Spider-Man uh, into the Spider-Verse, uh, he's just an amazing, an amazing actor. And the the way that he was able to convey so much of his presence just with body language alone uh, indicates exactly how strong of an actor he really is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, what do you guys? Why do you guys think that? this movie receives such bad criticism. Before I came in, I looked up reviews from well-known people, et cetera, et cetera. And Rotten Tomatoes gave it a 59%, which I find incredibly low. Yeah, especially, like like I said, this is by no means a bad movie. It's not. I enjoyed it. Everyone that I've seen However, that I know gonna, has enjoyed it. I'm going to build off a point by Bob Chipman, a.k.a. Movie Bob, who I really like. Um, I, he didn't go into... <laughs> as much detail as I can given that at one point I was a 13 year old girl who watched cyberpunk um, I don't think it was marketed to the right audience I think that it was the, not marketed well at well all. not marketed well I, at all but yeah, I, I think that. that the target audience for this movie should have been teenage girls because this was the movie that 13 year old me would have wanted to see because it is about a young girl who was allowed to be both vulnerable and also kick all the butt at the same time. She uh, she demands to be taken seriously as someone with needs and gets angry when people don't take her seriously. And she, she has real problems. It's not daddy won't buy me a pony problems. It's things like I have amnesia. I am a cyborg and I don't feel right inside of my own body. I feel like there's something very wrong that I need to... And there was... There still aren't enough really great, wonderful, big-budget tentpole sci-fi movies that that are aimed at uh, teenage girls. This should have been like a a advertised like a Captain Marvel or like a Wonder Woman to tell girls you can be the hero. And at thirteen, my actually funny enough, my very first (laughs) R-rated movie at the movie theater uh, was my dad took me to go see. The Matrix when I was 13 and that was my first exposure to cyberpunk and yeah I mean we live in a cyberpunk dystopia now so it's not exactly everything it was cracked up to be <laughs> but I I love I mean I was really hooked on that that aesthetic and that and there really weren't a lot of women for the most part and there weren't a lot of mo- like the bubblegum crisis series the reason why right. we loved it is because mm-hmm. it was women the reason why Sailor Moon blew up as much as it did for a generation of young women it is because it was one of the 
our first exposures to stories about female friendship and being allowed to be both a 13-year-old girl with 13-year-old girl problems, but also really genuinely bad, scary problems. I totally agree with you. I think for, still, for some reason, 2019, people are not realizing that women are a demographic that you should yeah. reach out to, even though we're more than half the population, but that's just me. Yeah, and we like <laughs> we like movies with punching and things blowing up. Definitely. You know? And it's and there seems to be at least uh, on on the part of just major Hollywood studios there seems to be this this pre preconceived notion that those types of films are going to fail. Um, there is it, and part of it is that there is a contingent of the population that is determined to see those movies to uh, to fail. Like if you look at it right now, the Rotten Tomatoes page for Captain Marvel is being like pre bombed with negative reviews yeah, by crazy. angry misogynists. Yeah, and at crazy. the same time. Captain Marvel has also outsold pre-sales for both Aquaman and Wonder Woman. And I honestly feel like if if Battle Angel had been marketed the way that M Captain Marvel was towards the right audience, it would have done so much better. Because there was nothing in this advertising that spoke to me. And I imagine, too, casting Rose Salazar, women of color. Well, right. also, who are who very young women of color who well, want to see themselves represented on screen. And Alita is based on an anime. And... In general, the anime community is, is very much more accepting of people, just in general, than right. the comic community is. Mm -hmm. The comic community is split between 50% normal human beings that understand the diversity in the world, and 50% toxic masculinity, yes. horrible <laughs> bullshit that's, that's existed yeah. for a long time. So, uh, you know, something like Captain Marvel, the, the people that lean one way are going to be super vocal about it because it doesn't she didn't fit, smile enough. It doesn't fit <laughs> yeah. their oh my God. what it's supposed to be. Would, like, it kill her? Would it kill her to smile? Baby, baby, how, baby. how dare this woman who was a captain in the Air Force <laughs> and have that military personality, how dare she not be sunshine and rainbow unicorns? I just thought that was absurd the first time yeah. I heard yeah. it. Uh, and Kel Denver is one of my favorite Marvel characters. Like, I'm super yeah. excited. I'm, 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 yeah. really, I'm really ready to see that movie succeed. I can't wait to watch it uh but i feel like it is a little disingenuous to say that something like like alita could be marketed in that way because captain marvel also has the success of 21 other films leading right. up to right. it um it's and live action anime or tr live action anime of live action anime do not seem to have a they do not have a track record <laughs> lest we be reminded of dragon ball evolution yeah but i am saying it probably would have done better it it, it, it i mean done, nothing well, is going to do as well as captain marvel this year more than likely no, except for perhaps star wars and also uh also endgame will probably be the biggest thing ever yes. um why do i keep forgetting that that's happening i know it's like it's, because because we're so because we're, <laughs> we're so we're so hooked on captain marvel right now that we're not even thinking of that at the I, moment i'm actually more excited about captain marvel and shazam than i am endgame yeah i can i can see that shazam looks really fun I, yeah <laughs> I, I i i so smile cute. like a goober every time i see the commercial <laughs> right oh it looks so precious. it looks so fun but the it, and that kind of brings me to a point. Why? What is it about translating anime from its original animated form or from manga into live action that seems to not work so often? Because it seems like there are more examples of that not working than there are examples of it working. There's just so many things that can go wrong. Like in, in anime or in manga, you have complete control over everything. You can control what the characters look like, how they act. You know, if it's if it's animated, you can add the kind of music you want, set the tone. Like, there's there's no limit to what you can imagine. And if you do a live action version, a lot of that has to be replicated with CGI. 
And sometimes it works, and sometimes it comes out looking stupid or horrible. <laughs> I also think that there's a big cultural gap, too, in how it's done. Like, what I liked about Alita and why they translated it well is that they did the, you know, they did the cyberpunk tech future. But a big reason why cyberpunk was so huge in <laughs> Japan and in anime in general stemmed from World War II. And having to rebuild as a giant tech hub afterward... Uh, because their economy was in shambles. Same reason why you have things like the atomic bomb dropping inspired kaiju. You probably could not have had, you know, radioactive giant monsters that would have been nearly as effective coming out of somewhere like the United States, who was the one that dropped the bomb. So I feel like they're something like Dragon Ball, for example, like, you know, they're, they grew up understanding the tale of the Monkey King mm-hmm. and a lot of the old traditional Chinese stories that. But in the United States, they're going to want to excise that kind of part that, that really inspired and, and drove that story because American kids aren't going to get it. It's the same reason why they redrew bits and pieces of Pokemon when they were eating rice balls to make them look like donuts. It's why they, they changed all of the names in mm-hmm. Sailor Moon. And, like, they would talk about it being in Tokyo. Don't forget but, the cousins, though. Yeah, the cousins. <laughs> yeah, they made it cousins. And, and like, they they they... they will excise a lot of the cultural nuances that influence the story. And what I did like about Alita is that they, I feel, I feel like they did right by what drove this story. They, that I think, I think James Cameron did his homework. Yeah. And I, I feel like a lot of it comes down to the fact that they, they weren't afraid to take the things that make anime and manga. They weren't afraid to take the things that, that make up what makes that so special and just leaned into it rather than backing away. It's the same way that, you know, at the beginning of the American comic book movie boom, we were afraid of the costumes and we were afraid of the trappings of like code names. It's, you know, they, they tried to stay away from that. And then eventually they realized that that was what made those, that genre unique. And so we see something like Alita where they lean into those, those trappings, if you will. And instead of it being a problem, it becomes, it becomes fresh and new and it feels authentic. This this film I feel would be a very good companion piece to uh, the um, the Wachowski directed Speed Racer, um, yeah. and Speed Racer has a lot of problems. I am not I am not gonna right. say that Speed Racer doesn't have a ton of problems with regards to its problematic casting and all sorts of issues that are and you know Emil Hirsch being violent. Yeah, like I said, problematic casting um, and whitewashing, what have you. But in terms of like having it be a love letter to a very beloved anime, <laughs> anime of the 80s um it's it had a, a very similar feel um in that i i feel like these two show that anime and manga especially in certain uh among certain demographics uh can be can reach different age ranges like speed racer is like it speaks to me as somebody who is a, a fan of well-paced drama and it's also it's like colors you know it's like i can enjoy that as an eight-year-old or an 18-year-old or a 28-year-old um same thing with with alita i felt like it was something where if you know look at it as someone who is like a 13-year-old girl would love it because you've got a a strong vulnerable central character um that's you know engaged in these 
amazingly choreographed fights that has and it has some of the best production value of any live action ad, uh, anime ad, adaptation I've ever seen. Um, but it's not so overwhelmingly viscerally violent that you also couldn't enjoy it even younger. Well, I would say as I was the kind of 13 year old girl who would stand in front of her mirror and do the kind like I would have done the kind of punches <laughs> that Alita was doing. I would have tried to stand on my my one finger. I would have that would have been the kind of thing that I would fantasize about more than kissing the cute boy. And, you know, when we were younger, you know, that's mostly what we got. Sailor yes. Moon, a big reason why I think it, it touched our generation, because I, I don't think I have met a, a woman in my, a millennial woman or non-binary person for that matter, who hasn't somehow been touched by Sailor Moon. Like, it's... Everyone loves Sailor Moon. It's our, yeah, like, <laughs> it was them. a big touch point because at the time it was basically all we had. Mm -hmm. Like, they didn't, they didn't shy away from being like, here's a cute boy, but they also, but also that was not the point. The cute boy was never the point. The cute boy was, we have to learn to work together and be good friends. And we have to learn to be cool. Like, there is a reason why whenever I go on stage, when I do my intro for comedy shows, I do the Sailor Moon, I will punish you. <laughs> and a lot of that has to do with, like, you know, every once in a while you hear a little girl in the audience that, like, claps. But there's a reason why, and that's because at the time, when I needed those kind of role models the most, that's what I had. And if I had had something like an Alita, I would have loved it. I would have really appreciated it. I would have I would have loved to hear that the end goal of my life wasn't find the cute boy like Hugo. The end point was go be awesome. And what I think what's happening now is that people and critics are stopping movies even before they come out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no reason, like Captain Marvel, like people that have never even seen the movie are saying that the movie's going to be crap. There's, yeah. there's also a lot of content creators making more stuff that has that kind of message. Like the new She-Ra is absolutely amazing. Right. Yeah. Like, I, I love it specifically for the message that it has. Last week we talked about how, uh, like, it was me and Ashley D'Annunzio and her, her little sister Kate, who's eight years old. And we talked about how we could have used a, a message like the one in Lego Movie 2, mm -hmm. where girls can be both the, like, grumpy, bad, you know, I'm brooding, but they can also be bright and happy and sparkly. You don't have to be one or the other. You can be both. I love the new she because it was so um, inclusive and it had more people of different colors, you know, genders, everything. And it's just the people that were mad about it were, you know, old white guys. <laughs> Who probably never even watched the original she right. in the first place because it's for girls. <laughs> well, I mean, it was this. It was the same, uh, the same way, like, whenever the... Uh, that that weird gem in the holograms movie came out a few years oh ago. Oh my gosh! You know what? It wasn't that bad, but it was weird. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, it was it was definitely it was weird. a weird movie. It was better right. than I expected. It it's was. a weird it's a weird <laughs> movie, but at the same time, the amount of hand wringing yeah. that went on over that really really upset me. And I'm and part of me was just going, how many of you actually watched Gem and the Holograms mm -hmm. whenever it was on? You know, it's like that that was a very it very much had its demographic, and I am very sure that you were not a part of that. <laughs> Um, now, I like have two younger sisters, so I watched a lot of Jim. Yeah, <laughs> truly outrageous. Um, but then, it's it's a different thing from like whenever the the first GI Joe movie came out, and oh. there and the 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 anger that uh, that popped up at that one. Um, and I, I feel like we live in this culture of just. Oh God! F fandom killed everything. 
Fandom has everybody everything. wants to be nostalgic, but then when it's not exactly what they want, they get all angry about. To be it. fair, to be fair, fandom didn't kill the radio star. That was video. <laughs> yeah, but like nothing has made me. Well, it's I have been more enthusiastic, and the things that I've been reading in the comic world have been so much more enjoyable to me <laughs> since I cut myself off from fandom. Um, I don't read critical reactions to comic books. I don't read interviews with creators because God help me if somebody who I admire turns out to be a total scumbag. Um, I'm, I'm just reading the stories for the stories. Um, I'm so, so very looking forward to, I've got, uh, Chip Zdarsky's first, uh, issue of Daredevil sitting on my desk waiting for me. Chip's not a scumbag. No. He would argue with that. <laughs> Yeah, but I think part of what makes him funny is that he will argue otherwise when he's like the opposite. He's the best terrible human being. But <laughs> but the but I'm trying to get to that point where I don't let outside opinion pepper my own um because I was so ready to write Alita Battle Angel off as being terrible based off of like the echo chamber that is fandom internet, that is movie fandom, that is anime fandom, that is whatever you want to call it. Um, so whenever I went in and watched the film and found myself enjoying every second of it, um, I, I really started to understand that, you know, and you know we're not immune to this. We run a critical. We run a critical radio show. Where it's our job to critique. And there are things in this film that you know didn't always work. Again, I talked about how the pacing is a little bit off in areas. Um, and you know you brought up the the you didn't care for the trope of the de the death of the dog. That's you know those are things that we can talk about. But looking but judging a movie and saying this does not adhere to what I believe the aesthetics of a movie of this type should be, therefore I'm writing it off. That is a completely different thing than seeing a movie <laughs> and finding fault with it. Or just saying, this doesn't look like I'm interested. Yeah, and again, it goes back to, like you said, marketing. This was a poorly marketed film. Um, and I feel like that's more and more whenever you have movies that are difficult to market, um, it's... It's it's almost you're just fighting such an uphill battle. Um, I, I feel like so, there was a similar issue with uh, last year's Mortal Engines because if you've read the book that was based off of, it is a very deep and rich bit of young adult fiction. It is a very very interesting piece of young adult fiction. Um, however, having looked at it, um, I was I I was well aware that that is a book that does not translate well to the world of film. And so whenever I started seeing the trailers, I was like, oh, no, they're just selling this as typical everything that you've seen before YA. That's what they're selling it as. And I feel like they did kind of the same thing with Alita. They were just like, let's sell this like it's just any other cyberpunk movie. And like Meredith said, I feel like maybe understanding what the audience for this would have been could have saved the the film a whole lot of headache um because arguably yes this would be a a, a great film for uh for young girls looking for a non-traditional role model to latch on to i think another issue is that we've been seeing so many movies that are in the future and you know all of that that the movie is and i think maybe if the movie was released <laughs> a couple of years prior to right now it might have done a little bit better 
I could see that. I, like, I think that the market the Blade is Runner right. That's sequel. what I was about to say. Yeah. I think that the market right now is kind of oversaturated with cyberpunk there is and a lot like of a dystopic, dystopian right. yeah. kind of movies. And out. see, I feel like a lot of people are kind of burned out on that because we do right. live in a dystopian cyberpunk story. I mean, it just doesn't have as much neon. <laughs> but I mean, I I did feel the need to dye my hair purple and get my nose pierced and shave off a good chunk of my own hair. So I mean, clearly, I'm feeling something about this. I like to see Alita a, a little bit more darker. I think even though it was like again like a dystopic, you know, future and everything like that, it wasn't dark. It wasn't a dark movie. It had a lot. No, of it, it was. Right. They leaned very heavily into the action adventure element of it right. more so than they did the like. This is the darkest timeline. Because when you pan out, when you start seeing like the actual city and yeah. I mean, you're like, wow, this is actually. A ruin, yeah. you know. But then when you close in and you're in the streets, it's kind of like you would go over country and I, you would be in a market street. I mean, it looks exactly like that. I think the way they told her story, bright like that, was was absolutely the right way to do it. But I think if you could have seen more um, scenery, like more background characters, right. you know, struggling to live and like, yeah. I would have liked to see. It that. seemed like and everybody I, was doing just fine. And like Meredith brought up, because this is, you know, only part of the story, I feel like there was an assumption that, especially based off the fact that, you know, James Cameron's name was attached to this, and it's a very well-known property within the anime community, um, I feel like they were kind of expecting that maybe we would, there was kind of an assumption that a sequel would happen. And I'm, if we don't get one and I don't get to see Edward Norton hamming it up as an anime <laughs> villain, I'm going to be so very angry. I feel like if we do get a sequel, it'll just because James Cameron like will start clawing at his bank account to make to it ha make it happen. Yes. Because remember, he's been wanting to do this for like almost 20 years yeah. now. I mean, the reason why he made Avatar was to get the technology right before making an Alita movie. And I feel like in maybe, you know, we talked about how maybe perhaps people are burned out on the cyberpunk, whatever, whatever. Um, if by some weird miracle, um, Dennis Villanueva's uh, epic Dune reboot, like, sets Don't the world on fire, on <laughs> um, then maybe it will, maybe that will be good for this film sequel prospects um I, I don't think it's possible for a movie staving uh starring dave batista to fail um but he could have been in several movies and i just didn't see him because he was standing so know, like... incredibly still <laughs> i mean i like i read dune many many years ago and i thought like okay it's a bit dry but it's still, like, I understand why it's a, a seminal piece of science fiction. Um, but I do like how Dennis Villanueva is talking about presenting the idea. What he said is he wants to make, quote, Star Wars for adults. And I really want to see how he does that with Dune. <laughs> I'm gonna watch it. I mean, I'm gonna I watch mean, it. Isn't Star Wars already for adults? I was about to say, isn't Star <laughs> Wars right? also... A movie for adults that is, it's a movie for adults that is kid friendly. Yeah, yes. is how I see it. I don't know. I've I've always kind of considered Star Wars to be a film that is ultimately for children. Um, it's. I mean, there was the part where all those children just got murdered. So. I mean, it's it's basically like <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. Those, 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 those were the those were those were the audience <laughs> surrogates, <laughs> and George Lucas killed them all. <laughs> I think things like the Ewok adventure are just for kids. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I think the core storyline of Star Wars is for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's yeah. 
ult ultimately, it's it's become such a cultural phenomenon that it can't not be for everybody. But, but to refer to Star Wars as for children, I feel, is is a little bit condescending because that wasn't necessarily its scope. Yeah, yeah I mean... I, I, also, being for children is nothing shameful. No, no, no. I mean, but Star Wars is for everybody and Wu-Tang is for the kids. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell I haven't been on the air for like two weeks? <laughs> We've missed you. It's like a heart missing half of its ventricles. But someone please strike that from the record that I said something nice to Jake. I'll edit that out in post. No, you won't. All right. So you're we're going to you're gonna get it cross-stitched so, and hung up on your wall. Mirror, I might. Something nice to me. I might. Um, I've been validated by a so we're getting into we're getting into uh, we're getting into the end game of the show now, um, and I want to make sure: is there anything that we haven't talked about that we need to? Like, is there anything that that you guys thought of while you were watching that's like, oh, I've got to talk about this, or it's gonna like burn a hole in my trachea? I think the love interest could have been played by a better actor, in my opinion. I didn't really feel bad when he died, and usually, if I don't feel bad when someone dies, I'm like, that's not good. Hugo is actually better developed in the movie than he was in the the OAV. But maybe we just needed that distance. Like, maybe, well, I th like know? I said, I feel like he was the only person within the... He was the weak link for sure. Like, the, right. he was, well, he was the only person that wasn't a big character. Like, everybody else had something that was so, like, uniquely over the top about them that you were like, oh, that's cool. Like, and I mean, in a world populated by, you know half cyborg bounty killers um there's just this guy who has a motorized unicycle and that's the only interesting thing about it yeah yeah but i feel like there's there's a way that you can play that up i just don't think they did enough like to be the one quote-unquote normie a lot, a lot of his motivations didn't make sense either it's right. like after all that stuff happened and you know they they were coming after him or whatever he's like i don't know where to go so i'm just gonna walk up this giant tube even though i told her like we can't go up this giant tube I'm going to walk up this giant tube. I think for him doing all of those things, even if they were to get to the top, I think that his character was almost too naive mm -hmm. and yeah. too, like... For someone who's supposed to be a street tough, right. he was extremely naive. Right. I would have liked to have seen somewhat of an edge to him. Like, yeah. maybe he knew he was being played all along, but he was willing to take the risk or something along like those his, lines. his friend that died was more developed than him. Like, yes. Yeah. Like, yes. You know, the one who got bisected. After, yeah, I mean, it was... That scene was amazing. Was also, really... also directly... Like, some of these scenes were, were almost, like, play-by-play -play <laughs> from the original <laughs> OAV. Like, the bisection of the fret. Totally, totally exactly from the dog dying... The set pieces were just translated almost one to one. And again, can we, like uh, talking about how everyone was just so darn good in this movie. Um, big shout out to uh, Jackie Earl Haley, um, who is one of those who is going to go down as one of the great character actors of our mm -hmm. time. Um, he was completely unrecognizable in his role, and at the same time, uh, just there was so much that is indicative of his his just utter control as a character actor. And he injected a level of just, he made that character his own. Yeah. yeah. I really, and, and he always does. He always does. <laughs> I, lo I loved it. Um, and, and again, like just random people would show up and you're just like, Oh, I love that. Like, I love Jeff Fahey. Yes. Um, so whenever I, sh whenever I saw him pop up, that made me happy. Um, Jeff Fahey playing Sam Elliott. <laughs> always happy to see, uh, always happy to see Lana Condor get work. Yeah. Um, so it, it, this was a, this was a film populated by just 
really, really good actors. I'm always on board for Christoph Waltz in like nurturing father mode, mm-hmm. um, and like double points for not for him not dying. Yeah, um, I, I, I was expecting him to. Die. I was so I was so expecting him to bite it like Django Unchained style, um, <laughs> but surprisingly he made it all the way through um yeah, the love interest died and not the father figure which is yeah a, which is a, a, an interesting subversion so i mean it, it, uh, if here's the thing if you like I'm, I'm trying to sell this movie to people because i think this is gonna have cult status like it'll be a midnight I totally movie agree with you. in a few years yes i totally agree i, I feel like this one this one will yeah. find its feet once it hits streaming because yes. I don't think people are going to go out of their way to go see it while it's in theaters, even though I saw it in IMAX 3D and it looked stunning. Yeah, we I did saw too. it in 3D. Yeah. I think teenage girls whose parents don't want to take them to go see the movie will also probably find it on streaming. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I genuinely think that teenage girls are going to find this movie and really elevate it. Yeah, I, I, and I, I hope so. I hope that it gets a, that it gets a strong following, and that maybe we do get that sequel because it's it's one of those things where this is a very it's a very rich developed world that they have, and I really would like to you know, I would really like to see it expanded <laughs> upon. Um, what I would have liked is for Crunchyroll or another streaming service to release the anime. Yeah, that was a weird thing. Yeah. That the OVA was not available on any Nowhere. streaming services leading up. It to might be movie. a rights issue. It, I was gonna say I know that it was an ADV property. And there's been a lot of issues with a lot yeah. of those properties. Mm-hmm. Like they are only just now able to put Evangelion up on uh, right. Netflix, mm-hmm. and that's been out of print for geez, almost Forever. a decade. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I re- I remember like if you look at it, uh, if you'd look on Amazon, like s- copies of different uh, different Ava things were going for like three hundred, four hundred dollars. It was yeah. I I got a gift card, to, like a two hundred dollar gift card to Amazon from a uh, a former job, and I grabbed the. Uh, Ava box set. Uh, that's that's been the problem. Is that it was prohib- it was prohibitively expensive as a teenager, and now as an adult, who could have afforded what it was back then? Because so much stuff is out of print, it's prohibitively right. expensive again. Yeah, it's just it, well, it, you've always got the movie reboots. Yeah. <laughs> Oddly enough, I'll I'll go on record as saying that. Uh, I never really got on got on board the uh, the Evangelion like train. That was never one of the ones that I got into. I tried. Lord help me, I tried. It but was it tough was, to get past Shinji's whininess. It was it was just <laughs> never really my thing. You didn't you didn't get all jazzed up hearing that theme song. Oh, I like the theme song. Yeah, you should be Yusuf. It's a classic. It's just it's just one of those things where it was never it was never the it was never my thing. Um, I was I, way more into Tenchi Muyo. Tenchi was good. It was good. I love I love Ava, but Shinji was annoying. <laughs> all all of my students who uh, are part of the anime club at my school right now, if they're listening, they're just they're going to like throw things at my car tomorrow. I'm sure. <laughs> um, but we are almost out of time, so before we get out of here, I do want to remind everybody once again that uh, KPFT is in pledge drive, and we rely on the support of listeners like you in order to keep the radio station up and going and providing the quality programming that we put out on a weekly basis. Um, so <laughs> if you would, if you would kindly uh, give us a call uh, at 713-526-5738 to donate, um, or you can text GIVE to 713 
888-888-5738, and it will give you a link to an online donation site. Um, there are packages available for uh, for donations. We including don't t-shirts. including t-shirts. We have uh, pa- packages to local events and things of that nature. If you give us a call, the uh, people out in the lobby would love to give you the rundown on what we can offer. And tell them Pop and Schlock sent you. Yes, please do. Please tell them uh, tell them that you would like to support Pop and Schlock live here on KPFT HD2. We would like to thank you again for listening uh, as uh, we we cannot do anything without our <laughs> listeners. Again, also, new to the Pledge Drive this time around, you can also cash app your donation to uh, its dollar sign, KPFT Houston. Please, uh, we will accept any and all donations because uh, we are... We're not we're we're not the type of people who are gonna turn down anybody's generosity. So no, we appreciate we appreciate and you know any what? and even, all donations. Even those of you who can't donate, we appreciate that you that you listen in. We appreciate that you share our posts. We appreciate that you watch us on the the Facebook feed or that you check out our archives. Like the support that you give us is valid regardless of what form it comes in. But at the same time. KPFT still needs money, so if you are able to give money, then that would be great. We are a worthy cause. We are tax deductible. Please do your research. Give us a nice, give us a nice little donation if you are at all possible. Now, I want to thank our guests for dropping Yay! in, and I do want to give them another opportunity to plug their uh, their work, what they have coming up. Where can we find you? What uh, what do you have out there for our listeners? Uh, so, like I said before, I'm from Raging Nerds. You can find us on all social media social media mm-hmm. at Raging Nerds Pod. Um, you can find me on all social media at Thirsty Erica. Um, check out our podcast and also check out Dogfin Studios while you're at it. And if you'd like to check out my show, it's Mind Fudge Comedy Podcast. We're available at mindfudgecomedy.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or any other podcast app. Uh, if you'd like to check out my comic book, Speak No Evil, it's available at graybearcomics.com, and that's G R A Y bearcomics.com. I love the logo of Gray Bear, too. Thanks. <laughs> All right. Once again, thank you guys for coming on. It's been a great discussion. Yeah. For those of you uh, Thanks listening. Thanks for being on here, guys. Thanks for having us. Uh, for everybody Thanks listen- for coming back someday. We'll be back for sure. Awesome. Welcome, future guests. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, and to everybody listening at home, if you have not seen Alita Battle Angel, uh, I heartily say go out and give it a try. Um, Do it for the 13-year-old girls. Wow, that did not come out right. I'm going to take this microphone yeah, away, away from, from you from very, very quickly before you say something else very regrettable. Um, for those of you who are looking to listen to our back catalog, um, Pop and Schlock Live is available as a podcast on iTunes. It's on Spotify, Stitcher, uh, Google Podcasts, anywhere where you get your podcasts, we are probably available. Um, you can always do a handy-dandy Google search and see uh, where we pop up. Yeah, we're you, the only Pop and Schlock out there. Yeah, we're the only... We are the one and only uh, Pop yeah, and Schlock live on KPFT. Oh, no, um, if you would like to, if you would like to, uh, if you'd like to follow us on those social medias, um, you can find the Twitter at Pop Schlock Pod and Instagram is at Pop and Schlock Live. Um, my personal Twitter and Instagram, if you would like to follow my exploits um, as I uh, spend my time in the circus, apparently, uh, you can find me at Am I Writer Wrong Writer like Typewriter and. If you want to find Meredith, uh, you can always check out at Meredith Nudo on Twitter. That's M E R D M E R E D T. I can't spell. Do it. M E R E D I T H N U D O. I was trying to spell murder nudes. Um, 
Anyway, um, yes, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, it has been great, and we will see you next week whenever we talk about How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. That is going to be a great episode. Yeah, thank you so much for tuning in. We will see you next time. 